I'm Nathan Larson, and this is Tone Deaf. By anybody's math, it must be said that brown people comprise well more than half of the world's population. This would mean anybody non-white or Northeast Asian with brown-toned skin. Now, without question, the designation Muslim and the skin tone brown, with all of its variants, have become indistinguishable in the eyes of many white Westerners. One of the greatest tragedies and sources of conflict in the 21st century is what the term Muslim has come to represent in the minds of many Westerners. Someone to fear, someone to keep a nervous eye on. If you see something, say something, right? That's some pretty transparent code that those of us who ride the New York City subway have had hammered into our subconscious. It's ironic, isn't it, that this category of human being is at once the most literally surveilled, the most scrutinized, and yet somehow the most invisible. A spectrum of experience and belief is not recognized. Nuance and detail are lost. The conversation is flat and greatly reduced. Today, we discuss being brown in a white space, and all this implies. This is Tone Death. identify with her like a simple thing like that that she wore a turban how do you say it in English this is Nadia Jibril a journalist for the Swedish national radio you know I when I was 15 I was uh, really like searching for an identity because I was born and raised in the Palestinian family but everything was so relative I, I was searching for something that was more fundamental mm. more like it's weird because I think that a lot of teenagers would look for something else. You know, the time when you look for yeah. a statement to, that you can hold on to that becomes a big part of your identity. And mine became Islam, you know? I just didn't think that it was ever going to be possible for me to be the person that I really wanted to be because I wasn't white. This is Faria Roisin, a writer and co-host of the excellent Two Brown Girls podcast. She spoke with me from Sydney, Australia. You know, like I'm not one culture, I'm not one um, upbringing, and I mean, I'm maybe one faith, but even that, my like interpretation of it is so, is so different to the majority of Muslims. So I started wearing the veil and yeah. I was praying five times a day and I've been really like practicing Muslim for like eight years, I think. When I was wearing the veil, I did it in another way. I couldn't wear it the traditional way because it wasn't hip hop enough, you know, so oh, okay, I would wear okay. it like, and there was nobody else that looked like that. I converted to uh, Islam in 1994. My, my mom, she never went to church, really. She, um, we all went to Sunday school and, uh, you know, and, and celebrated Easter Sunday like most black families. They call them holiday believers. Mm -hmm. Here's my man Kobe Kiambu, a Baltimore-based writer and filmmaker. To be quite frank with you, I got into Islam because of Malcolm X. I, you know, I read the autobiography of Malcolm X in high school, and that book changed my life. It sent me on a different journey. It changed my life. 
me wearing the veil the no but and it had consequences on my life like I was 19 and I started working for television and it was like this crazy debate because I was the first one to be a presenter or a host in Swedish television like national TV with wearing the veil and they you know nobody expected that in that time in Sweden they didn't this even was think when? this was like 2000 okay 2001 something like that yeah so it was a time in Sweden where we were pretty naive people had a lot of ideas about Muslims and Muslims were living here but they, it wasn't like the Muslims never claimed a place in Sweden yeah. so they weren't they were they, they weren't a problem in the official or the public space I mean from a Swedish point of view oh they're living here they have their, their stores maybe some weird ways of living okay you know but I, I wanted to be Malcolm you know he was a black man and I didn't appreciate Dr. King at that time but now I do I'm older and, and I understand that you know this it's different ways to uh, to uh, approach racism and, and so on. And he, he did what he felt was right. And, and, you know, Malcolm did what he felt was right. But uh, Malcolm's just his journey and to be able to take who he was and, and transform himself and, and, and inspire millions of people across the globe. I mean, it's just it just was amazing. Islam was the catalyst yeah. to his, his, you know, his his journey. And things like iterations of, of the Quran that. I, I crave, you know, I grew up with sort of all of that, like going to mosque and stuff. And like, when you get older, you, you just don't have access to those things as much unless you like. Wait, why? Wait, a, that's an important. Why did, why don't you have access to them? You do have access to them. I, I, I do. And I don't, it's quite political. Like mosques aren't available everywhere because of what they stand for. Right. Like with the whole mosque and ground zero, like, having a mosque is about accessibility right like it's it's community it's about community it always has been even if you were to go to a mosque it, it would be you could have interfaith dialogues in a mosque it's not just about islam so i think um accessibility is a huge thing so in montreal i live in a kind of like very french sort of hipsterish neighborhood where no mosque is nearby, right? And like the French are terribly Islamophobic. So um, it's all about accessibility. So if I'm not near a mosque, it's just not gonna happen. And of course I can like try and try and go every now and again, but like, there's nothing quite like it. Like, you know, when I was in Abu Dhabi or in Dhaka, like the Azan, so the call to prayer ringing five times a day, it's just an otherworldly experience of just being elevated to another state like you can get lost in that Like one of the first things that really, really got to me was being basically attacked by a bunch of black teenagers that were saying all sorts of shit to me, you know, everything from like calling me a fucking terrorist to like get out of my country. And this is Nima Safe, a musician and record label owner. I was like looking at him and thinking, what? How are you doing this? How are you saying this? How can one minority that's been so oppressed look at another minority and oppress them in the, in the, kind of in the same way? 
Is there not any kind of understanding? It's the fact that I now live in one of the most multicultural cities in the world. And I live in Brixton as well. All of the colors of the rainbow here, you know. But still, still there will be people that make you feel like you're an outcast. Still, there will be situations where it's so incredibly apparent to you that you're not like everyone else. You never will be like everyone else here even though it's so incredibly mixed, you know. When I started working for TV, it was like, okay, now they're claiming space in our public mm. area, you know. She wants to be the host, the presenter on our national TV. Yeah. And I mean, we're a secular country, everybody says. Why should she wear a veil, you know? So it was a, a big debate. And I was only like 20 or something. I didn't really understand it at that time. I didn't get so much backup, I think. When you live in a society that's aggressive towards you on, in every possible way, whether it's your faith, your the color of your skin, the sexuality or the gender that you are, it makes it really difficult to navigate and feel protected. I can love myself and that's enough um, and that may have to be enough forever and if that is the case then I need to be strong enough to feel okay with that from the second you're fucking born you're being labeled from the second you take a first breath you're being put into this category of you know miscellaneous or ethnically and culturally ambiguous not like us and that's it for the rest of your life in that country or, or wherever you go like one of the one of the things that i mean i don't know how relevant this is really but when i was eight years old and nine years old we went back to iran once um to visit gran my grandmother and stuff and there were kids there telling me that I was not like them and that I was a foreigner. And at that age, it dawned on me that I'm a foreigner wherever I go. In Sweden, they're telling me, you don't look like us, you're a foreigner. In Iran, they're telling me, you don't look like us, you're a foreigner. Now in the UK, I'm being whatever, telling me I'm not, I'm not like them. Go back to where you came from and shit like that. I'm a foreigner wherever I go. And it's been like that for, for my, you know, my entire life, it's been like that. You know, when I think back at that time when I had this veil, it was like really like when you're not someone that can be counted as being one of the majority, you know. Yeah. And if you show it so clearly, then, you know, you start to know things about people, you know, like it brings things out of people. I'm not comparing it to being black or having like dark skin. When I had my veil, I could always pop out of it. You know, I could always take it off. but. I can imagine how it feels to be seen as the other all the time because mm. I've been in that situation, you know? Mm. And it does something to you. Mm. It affects you yeah. in many ways. You know, like, it, can I write a book? Am I, am I interesting enough? Also, be, I don't want to be exotified, you know? It's between those two, two. it's so extreme. Mm. Like, yeah. I, either I'm not interesting or I, 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 I'm going to get exotified. It's, it's right. these fears. 
right out of high school. Actually, in high school was my first experience with the Nation of Islam and studied with them for almost a year. But I decided not to join. And uh, I wanted just to learn more about the religion itself versus, uh, you know, just the history of the Nation of Islam, you mm-hmm. know. And then I converted to uh, Orthodox Islam and became a Sunni in 1994. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of how that whole thing came about. Yeah. So, how does yeah. that sit with your family? Um, It was really hard, to be quite honest with you, man. Uh they were totally against it, and uh, my mom. What, now, why? Why? Well, because my mom sp- explained to me years later. She said, uh, "You know, I-, I just didn't know. I didn't know anything about it. And mm-hmm. when you don't, you don't know anything. Is something's foreign to you? You're scared of it. You're scared. Just like when you see people that don't look like you, you're scared of them because you don't know anything about them. And it's it's hard to really sit down and, and get the chance to know a person or." sit down and read a book, mm. you know, which is accessible to everyone, you know, but people don't really do that. They just kind of shut down and be like, hey, that's different from me. He looks different from me or that religion is foreign to what I grew up around and what, you know, and I, I'm just going to shut that out and shut it down. Mm. You know, she said she just was scared. So that's why she tried to put a stop to it. But, mm. you know, I think religion to me is, is a personal choice. It has, doesn't have anything to do with anyone else but you and God the practice of praying five times a day. When I was doing it, I was very much like, I was in this mode where I was like, I'm gonna be a good Muslim. And that was that was like the goal. And now I'm kind of happy with the kind of Muslim that I am. Okay. So, Can you tell me why you, where you had decided that you were gonna be a good Muslim and what that meant exactly? Well, <laughs> I was younger. And so I was like kind of trying to I was basically trying not to get where I am right now because I thought that that was like, <laughs> the worst. Sorry, I'm sorry. That's really funny. It's, it is really hilarious. Wait, what do you mean? Where are you now then uh, that you... Moving towards certain things like wanting to, uh, like, I don't know, like drink and all of these things where I was just like, I didn't drink until I was 21 or something. I was really, really good about that because I... I I wanted to try, at least try, and be a good Muslim. I think that there is this huge gaping hole in that conversation when we talk about, like, religious people or people that have, like, high morals. What are are we really saying? You know, like, I don't like the demonization that happens so readily in religious rhetoric. And so, like, you know, if you're not doing everything correctly, then all of a sudden you're like bowing down to Satan and, and you're giving yeah. in to all like earthly desires. But but then it was like the hijab was a part of my, you know, like this is not Yabil, it's her with the hijab. Yeah. That really disturbed me. But I was like, I'm not free. For me, it's like very important to be free in, in any sense, yeah. so especially as a journalist. So yeah. when everybody was like, oh, it's her. It's her. Okay, everybody just called me to ask me, you know, oh, can you help me research this about this Muslim community or this Arabic? You know, I, like I became like kind of an expert and I've never seen myself as an expert of Islam or being a Muslim in Sweden. I was just presenting myself. It was my journey that all of a sudden showed. I mean, a lot of people makes that journey, but it doesn't show. You're, still, you're like, well, this is my way of kind of just being myself and being yeah. cool and kind of I've got all these things to influence me. I've got my the history of my family, but I've also got like hip hop. Yeah. Sort of like I got Eric Badu with her head wrap, and that's cool to me. So all of this starts to come together, and, yeah. and you have this heritage. So you're like, oh, I'll just take, I'll just take that and do my version of that. Exactly. 
when I had my thing going on, yeah. you know, and I wasn't disturbing anyone, but no. a lot of people, just because it had about it, it was about Islam, a lot of people was questioning me and asking mm. me a lot of stuff, you know. It was like, oh, is it oppression? Isn't it oppression? Why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? And it was also this. Wearing the veil, it, it took out the worst of people that I met. And I didn't want to know that about people. I didn't want to know if somebody yeah. was an idiot or... Yeah. When you're out of the norm, you know, when you get out of the majority society, yeah. you know, values, people use you like that. Oh, this, they, you know, felt free to talk to me about anything, anytime, you know, and... Uh, <laughs> Nobody paid me for being a social institution, you know, like, fuck you. It's exactly. not your fucking job. Yeah, it's not. It's yeah. like, if you want to know something, read a book, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and if we're friends, yeah. if you're treating me as one, yeah. I can give you everything. Right. You know? I can give you the world, sure. but not when I'm sitting at the bus, you know, going home from no. work. So I felt like, no, I don't want to know that about people. Yeah. So I took it off. It was uh, in Stockholm, you know, so it was a, I was living in a suburb. And uh, there was this gang of Pakistanis playing a cricket game. You know, so I'm just walking there and I felt like, I think it's time, you know. Mm. It was just that. So I just took it off and it was nothing more complex about it. But it was weird that it felt, I was so sensitive for people's views, you know. Like, I've, I haven't shown myself my hair for like eight or nine years. And, and guys at work, they were embarrassed to see my hair. Because it's about that also, you know, like people got really curious, how does she look? So it became a bigger thing than it should. And that's also the reason why I took it off, because I felt like, I mean... You know, I have this conversation a lot with a friend of mine who's Libyan and also Muslim, and her kind of struggles with how to be a good Muslim and what that means. You know, I think a lot of young, smart Muslim kids out there are kind of wondering what it even means anymore. And if you have the right intention, if you're doing everything that you possibly can within your own limitations and you're, you believe in God, you know, and, and you have this like pure love for God in the universe, then what does your actions mean? Do they, are they completely, um, decontextualized in the face of God because like you don't wear the right clothing or you I think it seems quite odd to me that God could be that cruel essentially I battle with that a lot in the early days of having taken it off were you were you ever like fuck this maybe was a mistake I don't know to take it off and uh, yeah like before, yeah, still, I feel not only nude, like naked, yeah. uh, on the outside, uh-huh. also on the inside, I can feel a bit empty, you know, like there was something, it was a symbol of a struggle that I, uh, I can get so sad when I think about it. I don't know. What's happening in Sweden is basically what's happening in in the entire world, in a sense, well, in the Western world, and what's happening throughout Europe, I can't even put it to words, man. I can't even, you know, sometimes it, when I think about it, it scares the shit out of me. Not just for me, but, you know, thinking about my, my younger sister and my, my parents who are still in Sweden, thinking about what's happened to me, you know, in my life. One of the first times that I went back to Sweden to visit, after moving to the UK. I got fucking jumped by a bunch of skinned racist guys. 
purely, purely because of my looks. Yes. Yeah. And now, like thinking about how it kind of something like the police are. I'm sure you know you guys in the US know a lot about how the police handle minorities, but it's becoming such a it's like on a daily basis now in Sweden. I'm excited because I think that this is the seed that's taking us somewhere like this. We're seeing the seed being um, sown and slowly there's going to be change. And there has been a lot of change. But the fact of the matter is that Trump in 2016 is still a viable candidate. And it's it's crazy. Yeah. It's totally fucking crazy. It's not even, not even just the cops, but if you look at like how it's being portrayed in media as well. Like it's just a little side note. A bunch of refugees have gotten their shit kicked out of them for being refugees, for being migrants or whatever. And that's it. Let's move on. When I think about um, not only Sweden, but how people are being perceived, how people are being labeled, how people are being treated based on the most shallow factors and aspects. It, like, is there any change on its way? No. Where, where are we seeing change? Fucking nowhere. At least change for the better, that is. But yeah, Malcolm is, it's not like all white people are bad. It's just like what has separated different white folks and Europeans from, you know, American whites. It's the culture. It's the culture that they create in this country that's yeah. crazy. That's, that's, that's racist. Yes, yeah. white supremacist. You know, uh, that's a white supremacist culture. Just a culture. You know, so uh, he, he he saw that. The thing is, like, I think I'm doing a good job because I'm trying, and I really care. I really care about being Muslim. I I really feel Muslim. More importantly, what more could you be stop. doing? I mean, it's like what? just like your friend who took off the hijab. I think that it's there is definitely community pressure. I don't think there's any like religious or spiritual pressure to put on the hijab. In fact, oh. I mean. I, I have a lot of feelings about the hijab, and I think that honestly, if like it's a, a woman's decision, and that's it, um, and it's a beautiful thing. I also think that uh, the policing of women's bodies is a real thing, mm. and if a person decides to dress modestly, uh, we shouldn't want to denigrate her in the way that society in general, and I'm not even saying the Muslim community specifically, I mean everybody. Being so much connected, like an outer garment or something, yeah. being so connected to identity, I think, as my father said, you know, like, we should have it on the inside and we should, like, you know what I mean? I, yeah. I, I, I think that people should have the hijab if they want. I'm not against the hijab mm. at all. I could put it on tomorrow, it's not that. But I mean, I was afraid of making it, like, a garment can't be so important. It can't be, you know, because it's just a garment. Mm. It should be other things, you know? Um, I mean, sometimes I feel like... I don't know. It's like, uh, I've been a bit lost. Like, I had something, I have a practice, you know? I had like five times a day I would do it. But nothing stops me from doing it now either. It, I didn't have anything with the veal, you know? I essentially didn't want to listen to my base desires like I didn't I was like super I was like a super sexual kid and I was always like oh my god like I can't I have to be a virgin forever <laughs> and you know like it, things like that where you're just like so you're so terrified of what's on the other side because you've never been told to think about it more critically it's like 
this thing that you don't get, but you want to do all the time. You think that it's like you're, there's something wrong with you. So you're trying to like exercise it almost, you know, out of your system. I just wouldn't have done that if somebody had sat down and been like, it's fine. I had a chance. That's what I feel. If I have to be, if I, I'm completely honest, Mm. I had a chance to change a lot of things that are Yeah. But I couldn't take it because it was uh, too difficult. And I was lonely Mm. in my views at that time. Mm. But today Mm. I can regret that I wasn't stubborn or something because I was before my time, you know, yeah. in Sweden. But now I see girls in Sweden, they unite and they do things for each other yeah. and together. And they're not lonely, you know. Now, I'm part of the majority culture. In one yeah. way, I work at Swedish radio. I'm happy that my experience, now I can cover these actions or these, um, like there's some straight up hijabi action going on, you know, yeah. in, in, on the web and, you know, like... So it's it's good, you know, that there's someone like me on the inside, you know what I mean? Uh, that can cover it, that can meet them, that we can have the discussion. So I can change in another place. A lot of young Muslim women now turn to me because of that. And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing because I can give them what I never had. And, and that's maybe the purpose of also why I went through all of this, you know, to be able to talk about it and to, to, to be able to be honest about it because the community... Yeah is still heavily surveilled by the people in it and uh, by the people outside of it. It makes it just, it's very tricky to, to feel like you have the ability to say something and not, not be harassed or mistreated. They must know in their souls somewhere that the moment you sit down with any person and you look at them and you experience their humanity, mm. you, you can't your hatred has to shift in some way. You either yeah. have to double down on it in this really irrational way, or it has to transform itself. Or if I can admit that you're wrong, which, you know, none of them are going to do that. You're never going to catch one of them and go, you know what, actually, you're decent. I'm sorry, you know, I was wrong. Uh, no fucking way. Like, because they do it in the name of the flag as well. They do it in the name of, you know, in the name of their country, which is, which adds another layer of fucking bizarre fourth dimension bullshit to it. <laughs> you know, why are you bringing that into it? And not even being like in a debate, you know, just being able to discuss things. It's so refreshing. It's not many people that can do that. I think you have to make a journey. I, I think you have to do difficult things in life you have to be through a lot of shit to be able to come out and say you're free tone deaf is a modern imperial production produced by me nathan larson with taryn maza today featuring the voices of nima safe kobe kiambu faria roisin nadia jabril all of whom i give great thanks to also to my man Jesse Von Doom for doing the HTML. If you've got thoughts, if you want to talk, hit us up on Facebook, Twitter, all that good stuff. Till next time, we love you, and thanks for supporting Tone Deaf.